This is the Wesson Walker Show. I Not knew you were laughing at Michael Penix. That was yeah, no, it's, it's definitely Penix. I've heard it pronounced no, a couple of different not, ways. It is, it's Wes. Come and on. And you dry your bahuni and you dry like other. <laughs> what is he drying? It's bahuni. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to start using that for oh. sure. And Walker. I can think of Joey Bats and Roughnet Odor. We know the punches were thrown there. What did I say? You want to say that first name again, bud? Roughnet is not his it's name. It's Roomnet Odor. Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> yeah, but you also said Willie Stargle. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Willie Stargle. Day, folks. Welcome back to the Weston Walker Show Sports Radio 927 WFNZ. Keep those texts coming on the Charlotte Men's Clinic text line 704-570-9610. Follow us on social media, WFNZ, on X and on Instagram, at WestBrian underscore 72, at Walker Mail, at HTB underscore Josh, and most importantly, at Wesson Walker on X and Instagram. And now it is time to go to the campus Kona. All right, folks, as we said, it is National Signing Day for football. And when you look at the recruiting rankings right now, wanted to give a quick shout out to some of the top local stars in the area. When you check out 24-7 Sports Composite Rankings, which is where I go to to compile all of my information. But among the best recruits in the area and in the state as a whole, a four-star defensive lineman out of Charlotte Christian going to Notre Dame, who's definitely getting a pipeline down here, uh, especially to Charlotte Christian um, High School. Bryce Young, the number two recruit in the state of North Carolina, according to 24-7. He's going to Notre Dame, as I said. Jaden Davis, the number three recruit in the state right here in Charlotte. Providence Day going to Michigan. Jordan Ship is going to North Carolina out of Providence Day. He's the number eight recruit, according to 247. Number nine is Michael Gil- Micah Gilbert, a four-star wide receiver out of Charlotte Christian. He's going to Notre Dame. And number 10 is Channing Goodwin out of Providence Day. Yes, another wide receiver out of that school, catching passes from Jaden Davis. He is going to Michigan, the number 10 recruit in the state of North Carolina. So shout out to those young men and all of the men young men who are signing letters of intent today. We got a Charlotte Tide reference on the text line. Mary Biffmas because of how excited he is about the Charlotte 49ers and their recruiting prowess and rank in the transfer portal. And so also Charlotte, as far as I know you were shouting out individual guys, how about their rank in the transfer portal? Just because Charlotte Todd brings it up. So sure, I'll use that to talk about my alma mater. I'm glad you asked Wes and Charlotte Todd. They're ranked 43rd in all of college football, according to 24-7 sports, when it comes to the transfer rank. When you talk about overall rank with acquiring new talent, they're 72nd. You compare that to last year, they were in the 100s. 43 in the transfer portal? You know, that's a big shout to the uh, Tim Brewster, who they brought over mm-hmm. from Colorado, who has been a recruiting legend in college football. But also, I think, Biff Pogey for recognizing, hey, we need more talent. And I didn't do a good job in getting the right kind of talent last season. He was open about that. He spoke to Hunter Bailey and spoke to different outlets saying, I think the philosophy 
was to go get some of these D1 guys that are coming back down a level. And I also got way too many guys that I was familiar with in high school. But it seems like there's a change there, and that's why I'm really excited. Yes, even if it was a disappointing season for Charlotte, I do expect them to get back on track. And they're also going nationwide with it. When you look at some of their top-rated commits, you got DeGabriel Floyd out of East Los Angeles College, uh, an athlete. So who knows what position he'll end up with. Trey McLeod is a running back, 5'10", 190, out of Wimcor, Pennsylvania. So Charlotte's all over the place. I know they want to get that gate up around Charlotte, uh, but haven't been able to do so. When you look at this recruiting class, but one local recruit, they do have Umar Rockhead. You're talking about an all-name team guy out of Mallet Creek, three-star defensive end, 6'5", 265 pounds. So when you look at this class, he's the only local kid that they have thus far. So yeah. Biff and the crew and also DeQuinda Williams out of West Charlotte High School, a cornerback, will be going there as well. I do feel it's, it's interesting to note, you're, you're right, bringing in a couple of guys that have signed their letter of intent that aren't local. There's only two that are local. That's okay as long as the other recruits hit. Because that's always one of the things that people hate about their college football coach. If they don't end up winning a lot of basketball games, it's they can't recruit local. Why are you allowing this local talent to leave and go elsewhere, especially if it's some type of other group of five school? Well, okay, that's all fine if you go to other states and recruit there, as long as they're good enough to help you win football games. Because if you don't, and then you only have those two local guys, Wes, it feels like that's what leaves them vulnerable to criticism more often than not. Yeah, and so when you look at the ACC, and a lot of people are questioning, you know, if the Clemson Tigers are starting to fall off. Because when you look at the recruiting rankings right now, Florida State is third in all the country. Their top commit is K.J. Bolden, a five-star safety out of Georgia. Miami is seventh with Justin Scott, five-star D-tackle uh, out of Chicago. Clemson is 13th, though. No slouch following up those guys. They're 13th right now. Sammy Brown, maybe the best mullet in all of high school football. <laughs> five-star linebacker, two-way player out of Georgia. North Carolina is 25th with their top recruit, Jaden Patterson, a four-star athlete out of Georgia. NC State is 27th doing the job there. Their top two recruits, both wide receivers, one out of Greensboro, Terrell Anderson, and Duke, surprisingly, 44th. Uh, Kobe Smith, a three-star edge out of Tennessee, is their top guy. And then when you look over the ACC ranks, uh, Wake Forest is coming in 12th, but their class is 58th overall in all of the country. And their top recruit is a four-star wideout out of Fayetteville, Jeremiah Melvin, 6'5". He is, you know, Wake is famous for uh, bringing in those uber-tall wide receivers to go out there and catch passes. And the quarterback, man, Jeremy Heklinski, I like the face paint. I love the mullet. Six foot 175 out of Marietta, Georgia. The next great Wake Forest quarterback He's going to be so I'm excited about this guy. A lot of Wake fans are excited about him, too. But when you look over the landscape of this thing as a whole, who do you feel like is in the best and worst shape uh, going into signing day? Who could use the most help? And who do you think that, uh, you know, the rich just keep getting richer? Well, I don't know about the rich getting richer, but certainly a good recruiting class for one local school belongs to South Carolina being ranked 17th according to ESPN right now their previous yeah. ranking it's still stayed there according to 247 yeah now this is the problem it's the fact that you're only in the middle of the pack when it comes to the SEC but that's okay if you're South Carolina and you rank 9 out of 16 in your conference when it's the SEC that'll do just fine and when you're ranked 17th in all of college football 
that will do you pretty well. And so now when you're talking about Shane Beamer, a little bit of a hot seat conversation at the end of this past season. Not enough to move off of him. Nobody called for that. But just a conversation that we would flirt with every now and then. I think that's good for them. You mentioned Clemson being at 15. Probably would like to be that higher if you're talking about them reaching college football playoff prowess once more. So are you looking at ESPN? I am looking at ESPN. Okay. Yep, I'm looking at ESPN right now. And so Clemson could be ranked higher. Another, I know Which is go. good. No, that's fine to give the, the different contrasting rankings. Florida State was one that was interesting to me because in Tallahassee, you have a school that was deserving in their own right to be a college football playoff team this year. Could they still be able to hold on to the talent that came via the transfer portal? You know, you're talking about Jared Verse leaving for the NFL. Jordan Travis, no longer going to be a QB for them. Keon Coleman coming over via transfer portal, going to be a first-round pick most likely according to most uh, mock drafts, right? They're top five in the country. They're number one in the ACC, and they're top five according to ESPN. And this is a team that looks like they're going to still be able to stay right up there with everybody else, even if they're losing some NFL draft picks. And so I, right, it, it's fair to question a team that is on its way up but is going to lose a lot of talent. So do you have that sustained excellence? And it feels like Florida State, at least with their recruiting class, is going to give themselves a shot at it. Oh, certainly. They're on their way back up, you know, and they're basically here after an undefeated season. But, yeah, uh, I've mentioned K.J. Bowden, a five-star safety. They also have a four-star uh, quarterback out of Georgia, Luke Cromenhoek. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And so uh, going back to South Carolina, though, to your point, you know, their recruiting class is headlined by Dylan Stewart and Edge out of Washington, D.C. And I remember when he committed to them, they were very excited about him. A five-star guy, number one player in that D.C. area, top 25 nationally. And Josiah Thompson, an offensive tackle uh, out of Dillon, South Carolina. And so, you know, when you look at these teams, too, and I think signing day has taken a little bit of a change because of the transfer portal. When you get excited about these classes as a fan, you have to worry about – if the guy's still going to be there after a year or two because it doesn't even matter mm -hmm. at this point now if they're a starter, you have to worry about keeping these guys on the roster each and every year now. That's what TC was writing on the text line as well. Hey, congratulations to everybody signing their letter of intent. They will be in the transfer portal within the next year. <laughs> That's what you've come to expect, yeah. certainly on the exaggerated side. I also wanted to mention another ACC school. We go yes. to North Carolina where you go to the regular season – and this has been a topic of discussion, too, when Mac Brown underperforms with the level of talent that they're usually able to get. Well, according to ESPN, they have the 26th ranked class. This is where Mac Brown is supposed to win. Yeah. This is where Mac Brown justifies being the head coach of damn near any college football program in the country because he wins in the living room, because he wins in front of your parents. That's where he wins. But on game day... The old adage, eh, don't trust them all that much. And so now if they're 26, usually that's pretty good. But don't you have to rely on some of this talent being in like the top 15? And Fiddy, as we do, usually we'll go to you as the Carolina fan. Are you okay seeing that 26 number or according to different outlets, whatever, it feels like bringing in new talent, especially after expecting to lose Drake May, how much higher would you like to see that number and be okay with it? I mean, you, you definitely want more talent, but they've recruited in the top 10, top 12, top 15, and you're still winning eight games a year. So you, Carolina fans shouldn't be surprised that the recruiting has taken the dip because 
you haven't won anything while recruiting at a level that should lead you to being more competitive in the ACC. I wouldn't hate it if I knew that the talent that was on the roster was going to get developed. And yeah. that's the problem. They've gotten the talent to Chapel Hill. They've always been able to get good talent to Chapel Hill. The problem is they've never been able to develop it, and we saw that firsthand once again this season. Yeah, and so when you look at it, too, talking about replacing Drake Maywalker, you know they got Max Johnson, yep. the transfer, to come in. And then in this class, they do indeed have a quarterback out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Michael Mertinger. So we'll see if he can uh, come to Chapel Hill and make his mark uh, when you talk about replacing some of the guys. And when you look at uh, the landscape of this conference and the teams that are in good and bad shape or the guys that need to find players to replace some of the stars that they had because when you look at Clemson that's one that's the one thing I was thinking about the other day is Dabo's committed to Cade Klubnik and he's not going to step out on the transfer market because I think about quarterback I think about what Clemson would look like with a guy like Cam Ward or some of those type of players or a, a guy like that because when you look at that last five classes as I've said before I don't think that they need to go to the transfer portal to get too much they've been 10th 5th 3rd and 10th over the last four seasons and again they've got some help coming at wide receiver as well we know Tyler Brown stepped up and looks like he's going to play be a player there Bryant Wesco a five-star wide receiver out of Texas they were very excited about getting this young man talking about bringing that wide receiver you back in Clemson and so that's the thing now, man, that the transfer portal has made this even more interesting. These guys are going to have to come in and play earlier than ever, not only because you may need the help from them at a certain position, but because you don't want them to transfer. Well, and last thing as we continue to talk about who we have the most faith in, with North Carolina, Fitty's right, you don't trust this coaching staff to develop them. And even if they're already good, I mean, they have a lot of players that are awesome once they step foot onto North Carolina's campus. You do have a lot of skill guys that will go to the NFL draft, as whether it be a third-round pick, whether it be Drake, who's going to be drafted in the top four, right? You underperformed with him in the win-loss column, but I'm not going to look at Drake May and say, oh, they really held him back as far as an individual growth standpoint. Maybe they did in certain areas, but not enough to affect his future. But when you talk about NC State, who's ranked 30th, only four spots behind North Carolina, so they're in a very similar neighborhood, but when they go to Dave Doran, when they go to Raleigh, you trust that they're going to be treated right and grow quite a bit to where they're going to end up better than where they came in. And I don't know if you see that a lot with some of the North Carolina prospects. They might come in and then live up to the billing. They might come in and, and you know, maybe Drake May. I mean, I, I know Drake May. I don't know if people were saying he was going to be second overall pick, but he was still highly coveted, right? Mm -hmm. Like at NC State, the point is you trust that coaching staff a lot more because you can set their watch to your watch to them winning nine games a year. And at NC State being in the same neighborhood as North Carolina, there's not that cushion for the Tar Heels. And even when you do have the more talent in the recruiting trail, you still end up losing to them in the most important game at the end of the season. And so this is the problem. Well, the thing is, too, is that Carolina is adept at developing offensive skill talent. They've done a great job yeah. at that. They put out receivers, quarterbacks, running backs. But the problem is, haven't developed offensive linemen like that. Remember back in the day, Carolina him. would have a first-round, second-round offensive lineman pretty much every season. Haven't had that. Defensive line has been just abysmal. And that's been the difference because Dave Dorn and NC State, they develop linemen. We've seen them, Iki Aquano going top five. Now, whether, you know, how he plays and what you want to base that on, that's on you. 
But NC State, they always make sure they're good in the trenches, and that's how they're able to still win football games, even though their skill talent uh, has been lacking. But when we come back, Jeremy Fowler reports Carolina's interest to pair a new head coach with Jero Evero, that and a whole lot more on the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Question on the text line just set it off a little tiny bit. We had a question from 336 writing in Wes, in your opinion, what North Carolina schools do the best job at developing their talent? You mentioned Wake Forest, and of course, it's Fitty. So we made a face, Wes. And then you went into defending it. You talked about Aaron Curry, him being a three-star recruit, but ends up being a top five pick. Fitty says, yeah, and he was a big old bust. And then you said, yeah, it's better than what y'all got with your sorry bleeps. Now. I did. They get four-star, five-star guys that come in, don't develop like that. Like I said, you got Drake May, you hit on that. You hit on Omari and Hampton, and you've had some guys. But as far as when you talk recruiting rankings and what they churn out, it's Wake Forest because they take guys that are three-star, two-star, three-star guys and turn them into NFL draft picks. They took a three-star in Aaron Curry. Aaron Curry might have even been a two-star, turned him into a Buckets Award winner, and uh, a top five NFL draft pick. You look at the Alfonso Smiths, the A.T. Perrys, and all these different guys. You got John Walford that's still hanging around uh, in the league. The Boogie Bashams, Justin Strenads, like Phil Haynes starting at guard for the Seattle Seahawks, Jesse Bates. Like none of these guys came into the league or came into college as four and five star heavily touted recruits. You got Luke Masterson starting at linebacker for the Raiders. So Wake takes a lot of kids that are two- and three-star caliber and turns them into NFL guys and not getting the four- and five-star guys, not to mention the academic standards there makes it even tougher to get some of those recruits. So I would be saying that even if it wasn't uh, my alma mater. Wake really does a great job of developing talent, and when you ask the people in the know and other coaches, they'll tell you the same thing. Yeah, what about NC State would be the only one? Because I think Wake Forest is a good answer. I have no problem with that. I would put up NC State because you talk about a lot of draft picks there as well. You feel like, I mean, I feel like I see a decent amount of first-rounders. We can go to I mean, depending on how far we want to go back, I know you're going pretty far back with Curry and Alfonso Smith, like not quite 20 years, but 2019, you have a first and a third round pick with Garrett Bradbury and Jermaine Pratt. Both of those guys are playing mm-hmm. very well right now. We talk about the offensive lineman and Nicky and Chandler Savala, uh, Bradley Chubb, first round pick a few years back. Um, you know, you've got some guys there as well. I don't want to continue to roll down the list crazy long, but NC State would be the only one that I would go with. Because we, we can't have, I mean, I think Fiddy is trolling when, well, not not with Wake Forest, but with North Carolina, that wouldn't be your rebuttal. Oh, no. Because no. we just talked about how they don't, uh, they don't develop their talent nearly as much. Yeah, no, mine would have been NC State because look at the quarterbacks they put in the NFL. You had Rivers, Wilson, yes, I know he transferred. Uh, Glennon, Jacoby Brissett. Then, you, you know, you mentioned Chubb, the offensive lineman. They they may not have like in 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 right now the running backs or the wide receivers. I've had good running backs here recently too. But like, like, even guys that get to the league, they don't have to be a yeah, top. Donovan Knight still yeah. in the league. You right. know, so I mean, I I would go NC State. And my one knock against Wake Forest, it wasn't it wasn't even that it was personal. I mean, you know, Wes. Ah, uh, yeah. If, like, what's that, your what's your rebuttal? That's what I want to know. I'm gonna slide on. Like, back. how are they not? If 
Yeah, go ahead and think. I just think it's a bad reflection because they had uh -huh. one of the best offensive linemen this state has ever uh -oh, seen transfer into their program, <laughs> left an SEC school to go to Little Old Wake Forest and Winston-Salem, mm -hmm. and they couldn't even get my mans in the NFL. Well, I didn't uh, try to go to the NFL, to be honest with you. That's their fault, not yours. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, You're, I appreciate that. You, I mean, yeah, look. They would have been, look, you would have been a first, second round pick had it been for Wake Forest developing you, is what yeah. Fiddy was yeah. saying. And then you couldn't have turned down millions of dollars. You'd right. be like, nah, I'm tired. I'm going to turn down this first round contract. Yeah. I have to imagine you would have had a hard time well, turning down that contract. You know, y'all talked about all about y'all's trip to Boston. Never asked me about my trip to Dallas. I ran into Jerry Jones. We asked you about four different times. Right. And, sure and Jerry Jones said, uh, son, uh, I hear you on the radio with that uh, Wes Bryant fellow. <laughs> and, uh, he was the missing piece of the Super Bowl in 2007. <laughs> so I blame Wake Forest for the reason why the Cowboys <laughs> haven't won a damn Super Bowl since the 90s. He did a good job. He brought it in by giving me compliments. It's a smooth move. And then still tried to diss my school. I like it. <laughs> I really don't that know. Was that was flawless. What goes on in his brain? It is. That was flawless. Well, like even just, you know, you were the missing piece to the Super Bowl in 2007. Yeah. You know, and okay. Just don't know what goes on Spot in his the brain lie. sometimes. Spot the lie. All right, so Dallas, Jerry Jones, he spoke to Fiddy, and he said that was the one recruit, that was the one prospect my team really missed out on. So that uh, that that Wesley Brown, I wish I could have put him with Michael. <laughs> that was the one recruit, right? <laughs> so let's ask this question. Carolina Men's Clinic text line, 704-570-9610. What is a recruit that your favorite team either missed on got and you were really excited maybe got and it was excited and it hit or missed recruiting feelings that you ever had about your favorite school what were they Wes I know you had a story about a recruit you thought was going to be great for your favorite yeah, school yeah from right around here way. man uh, Rocky Reed a running back at uh, Concord High School man this guy was dominant in high school I went to see him play in person especially after he committed to the Deeks, I mean, he was a big-time player. He ended up, uh, when you go back in retrospect, looking at his 247 uh, composite rank, he was the number two of recruit in the state of North Carolina. But when I saw this guy up close, I was like, man, he is tremendous. I thought when he went to Wake, I thought he was going to be fantastic, and he didn't end up working out for him. And then uh, I was really excited when they got Sage Surratt, too, because oh yeah, when they got Sage, you can't write a better high school career than what this guy had. I mean, 2,300 yards receiving over 120 catches this single year, averaged 40 points a game in basketball, which it did work out to an extent. The year that he did play, when he really came on the scene, he came on the scene He left early, right? Unadvised. He, yeah, he so, decided yeah. not to play in the, the pandemic year. And I thought that that was a huge mistake. He's still hanging on in the XFL. But I thought that he was, you know, I wish that he would have played. So it's kind of a little bit different. He was super productive and looked like he was going to be a straight dog. And he was for the yeah, time he that was. he played. Yeah. But he just made that mistake. I thought got some bad advice not to play that last year. And it really hurt him because he was projected to be a second round pick, maybe late first round pick coming back into that sophomore season that he had, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going to need help from both of you. But there's only one name that came to mind for me. It was with North Carolina heavily involved in recruiting Brandon Ingram. And when Brandon Ingram, who I think grew up a North Carolina fan, I think I have this story right. Fiddy, you probably know more. Brandon Ingram was thinking about, you know, a few different yeah, schools. Yeah, because of that Kinston pipeline. Right. right. And so Duke ends up landing him. And it was the worst thing because here's Brandon being one of the top recruits, 
crazy special in high school, and he ends up going to the rival school, has a great year to the point where he's going to be second overall pick behind Ben Simmons. But I remember then thinking, oh, man, I really wanted him, and we missed out on him. Yeah, that was one that, uh, like, they never said it publicly, but they kind of forced J.P. Togato out of the program mm-hmm. because they wanted to make room for Brandon <laughs> yeah. Ingram. And I remember because of the where he came from, it, it was a big storyline on the 11 o'clock news on WBTV that he went to Duke over North Carolina. And that was one where I was like, yeah, because, you know, when you lose out on a Kinston boy, that's why we took uh, Dontrez Styles transferring out of the program so hard because for 20 years, if that Carolina Blue showed up, you went you went to Chapel Hill. Yeah, well, this ain't basketball signing. This is football signing. Do you guys have a football recruit that yes. you got excited about? I'm trying to yes, share some stories too. One. Sorry. <laughs> Let's go football. Yeah, uh, one that we hit. We can do signing day when basketball signing day comes. One that hit that I remember <laughs> Content, Larry Fedora. Um, <laughs> when, when, when Quinshaw Davis committed to Larry Fedora, I remember watching his press conference. And this is the reason why signing day is I knew gross. it was something. Is I knew because it was something. Larry Fedora comes in after like his 17th Red Bull of the day and is just <laughs> celebrating this 18-year-old's decision to go play football for him. And it was just at the time, it was, you know, I was in high school. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. You become an adult and you realize, oh, this is kind of weird the way that grownups act about teenagers making decisions. And then in 2016, <laughs> when they missed out on the number two wide receiver in the class, Nate Craig Myers, who went to Auburn over North Carolina. Uh, I can remember still not at that point yet where I've matured enough watching him commit on ESPNU. And let's just say there were a few choice words I had for that young man. So there was a running back that went to Rutgers over North Carolina. And mm. I remember being frustrated about missing out on him. Was if, it Ray Rice? I'm trying to think. It was not Ray Rice. <laughs> it was not somebody that I think would have gone on to have this illustrious NFL career. But I, I'll look it up. But there was one. We've got a couple of other ones. A good ones. one, too, is, is who the guy your school missed out on and went to another school and was a monster. That's a good one as well. Do you have one? I got to think about it. For oh, a okay. I thought, I thought that's what you were saying. We have a couple people writing on the text line. Myron Goodman said Russell Wilson yeah. going to NC State instead of North Carolina. He said he was frustrated about that one. Okay. That's I didn't even, one. honestly, don't even remember North Carolina being up there with Russell either. supposed yeah. to go there. But Russell Wilson wasn't a uh, heralded recruit like that anyway, so I don't think he probably would have remembered. Uh, Rain Man has a good one as far as who turned out well. Elijah Hood. Going to North Carolina. That was uh, fun. Yeah, that was a big decision. People were happy about that. that. Was a big decision. Yep, that's a good one. Um, oh, Gordon brought in uh, Cam Dollar. That's a good one. And when Cam Dollar went to Charlotte, I thought Cam Dollar was going to be a lot nicer. And he had some moments, but um, I was a lot more excited about that. Yeah, we also have MW writing in what happened to Avero talk. We did promise some Ajero Avero. We did. We did. We're we still on sports, it. though. Uh, Savion Huggins. Thank you. Yeah, we got time, baby. Savion Huggins, sorry, nine one zero. That's that's who I was talking about with the Rutgers run. Okay, that's who I was talking about. All right, let's try to get organized and go to the Ajero Avero conversation because there's a report from Jeremy Fowler on ESPN that Carolina has some interest in whoever they hire as the head coach. They would like to pair. When I say they, I mean David Tepper. They would like to pair whoever that head coach might be with Ajero Avero currently on his defensive coordinator contract. Wes, do you like the idea? I know we talked about it a little bit yesterday. Do you like the idea of pairing whoever the offensive head coach is with the defensive coordinator in Avera? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with it as long as the two have the chemistry and want to work together. That's my only thing about it. Um, 
I wouldn't want to put them together. And then we see what we see this year with this coaching staff with clashing personalities and cliques and things of that nature. I think the coach has to be open to that. And David Tepper has to tell him, look, you don't have to keep him if you don't want to. And I think if they meet and they feel good about it, yeah, because we keep talking about that this is a unit that's top three in the NFL in total defense. I mean, why would you not want to keep that? I think that would take one less worry off a potential head coach's plate to know, hey, I've got a good defensive coordinator in place. I don't need to go find that unless we know these coaches have relationships and things of that nature. They could have a guy in mind already and say, hey, I want to give my guy a shot. It could be a linebacker coach or a secondary coach and say, hey, I want to give that guy the shot to be able to be a defensive coordinator because if they did not retain a Jero Evero, then there's going to be plenty of suitors for him out there. So he's going to end up elsewhere. So it just depends uh, if they have the right type of chemistry and want to work together, then I'm all for it. But I'd like for a head coach to come in and bring their guys because just because Evero's come in and done the job uh, that he's done, that doesn't mean that another defensive coordinator can't come in here and keep this defense rocking and rolling too. Yeah, we we mentioned it yesterday where it's it's complicated for me because, of course, I would love Averro to be the defensive coordinator still here with Carolina. Would love that. If you like him that much to where you're going to force the head coach's hand in who to hire at D.C., then do we just give Averro the job here, especially with Averro being someone that's going to be sought after by other NFL franchises? Because Fowler writes... He'll most likely be on the head coaching interview circuit and could interview in-house with Carolina, but with him under contract with the Panthers, he's an asset they'd like to keep should they focus on offense with their coaching search, as most expect. Ow! What you got here, Wes? So I had to come in. You know it is signing day, man. Stuff is going to happen. So just wanted to interrupt. Talked about a minute ago how Florida State's top recruit was five-star K.J. Bolden out of Georgia well, guess what? Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs said, not on my watch. He has flipped to the University of Georgia. So sorry about that, Florida State fan. <laughs> if I like that. Yeah, they flipped him. If that the, was good. <laughs> if the recruit heard that bark and thought that came from the Georgia Bulldog, if that came from Ugga, he would go right back to Florida State. He would. He would. There's no way he'd be yeah. on campus with yeah. something that was capable of making that sound. Yeah, that's a, yeah. Tough, <laughs> that's a tough loss for the nose, though, uh, losing out on that kid. Five-star. They they made a big deal about it when they got him. All right. As I just talked about Florida State being top five, here they are losing one of the key prospects, key recruits to a team that is in contention for the national championship every single season. All right, well, we'll get back to some Averro combo because there's still uh, plenty of meat on the bone to discuss there and chew on a little bit. We'll get to that. The Jumpman Invitational. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Wes is laughing. He's he's uh, on, on squirrel duty right now. He is the dog saying squirrel, squirrel, there's one. Here's one. I want to chase it with all of these signings coming in. Yeah, that's yeah, a good one. Yeah, man. All right. I didn't expect that bark. That was great. We try to organize things a little bit more. Coming up next, Wesson Walker Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNC. Flounder almost caught these hands from Fiddy when he came in and opened up a present that we planned on opening at the end of the show. He did, didn't he? He got well, a little contentious in well, here. So Flounder walks in. We have a present 
from Ms. Julie and the Concepciones, who we very much appreciate. This is the same person that gave us some homemade fudge, like, I don't know how long ago, but a month and a half, two months ago, something like that. And that brought Fitty to say in public, on these airwaves, that that fudge was better than his mama's. And that's high praise. Remember, he told us not to tell... Mama, but you know, you know, you know how he does. That. As soon as I meet Mama, that's the first thing I'm gonna say. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I heard your fudge is at least second best. <laughs> yep, it's first thing. He's like, hey, how and are I you? I say it didn't come from two of us. It that's came right. from somebody else. You do the math, Mama. That's right. So we're really excited to open this present. We're gonna do that at the end of the show. Uh, once again, huge, huge shout out to Miss Julie who listens to the show and listens to the station. And, Fiddy, I know you're chomping at the bit because it's 145, and we still have to wait another hour before we open this thing. Yeah, and I, what, just, what just baffled me was this guy just walks in, walks straight to the gift. He does. He really and just does. starts opening it. And, like, you're explaining to him, no, it's not what you think it is. It's not. <laughs> like, this is from a listener from the show into the station. And Flound didn't give a crap. And I've been wanting to bring back the movement in high school where he used to walk around and slap people's neck and say, let me get that neck. Mm -hmm. This was as big a let me get that neck moment we've had on today's show. And I asked you to lean over there and just give it a good old slap. I'm not going to do that because it, it, it hits a little different if I'm slapping the back of the neck of Flounder compared to you. That's just not going to hit the same. But it was hilarious to see him immediately lock eyes with this present, go straight to it, start digging through it. What y'all got in here? What'd you get? And I'm explaining to him what it is. We're going to open it at the end of the show. Just not on this planet. Decides to take the tissue paper out, starts looking at what's in there. And then Wes walks in like he just caught his kid going through the college, uh, the, the closet, excuse me, <laughs> going through the closet where all the Christmas presents are being hid and just reamed him out. Man, what are you doing? Open the present. And so Flounder, he really took it on the chin there. <laughs> that, that he did. Also wanted to say on a text, I wanted to give Fitty cause you know, anytime I can give him a little bit of grief, uh, going back to the question that we asked, Myron Goodman said worst miss in UNC football history, uh, posted a picture of Peyton Wilson. Yeah, it wasn't Russell. Committed. It wasn't Russell. Yeah, I got that wrong. Uh, showed a picture of Peyton Wilson at one time committed to the Tar Heels. I said, man, if you could think about Wilson, Cedric Gray, and Power Echoes, my God, that would have been a sick linebacking trio. Yeah. <laughs> that one hurt you. I'm just going to plead the fifth when talking said, about yeah. Peyton Wilson. Yeah. Probably best because you're going to get an FCC violation. <laughs> You've talked about how angry you were. Yes, it was not Russell Wilson. It was Peyton Wilson, who Myron Goodman was mentioning, and also just some more house cleaning. Somebody texted in that Brandon Ingram was a Duke fan growing up, but played in the uh, on Jerry Stackhouse's AAU team. And so maybe that would have been the North Carolina connection. I had it backwards, I think. I thought he was a North Carolina fan. Yeah. So either way. Either thought, way, good choice by him. Thought Brandon Ingram would go to North Carolina, making the wrong choice, if you ask me. <laughs> I wanted to finish up some of these thoughts on Averro mm -hmm. because I think it, just for those that maybe joined us late last segment or just joining the show, Je uh, uh, Jeremy Fowler of ESPN, he wrote on ESPN.com 
that the Panthers, David Tepper, would really like to pair Ajero Avero, the defensive coordinator, still in that same position with whoever they hire as their head coach. And he goes through a couple of examples where it's worked before. He talked about how this model worked for Indianapolis when they hired Shane Steichen. They kept defensive coordinator Gus Bradley. Miami did the same thing when they hired Mike McDaniel. They went after, um, it was under the stipulation that Josh Boyer would remain their coordinator and then eventually... They replaced Boyer with uh, Vic Fangio, which, by the way, if you're trying to talk about successful times this happened and then that defensive coordinator has gone anyway and then you go to Vic Fangio, can you call that successful if you keep one and then you hire Mike McDaniel, but then you move to a different guy anyway? Yeah. Is that successful? That doesn't make sense to me. All that to say, this is where I'm conflicted. Because, of course, I would love to have Avero as my defensive coordinator. He's done a great job. I don't want to lose somebody that's done a great job with that title. The problem is I don't want David Tepper telling the head coach what he has to do, what he can and can't do. I don't want the owner telling him that when it comes to football operations. When you hire a defensive coordinator, that is a part of football operations. So, yes, we can all understand that we want Avero, but if you want him that badly then why don't you just seriously consider him being the head coach if you want to retain him so badly? So there's one. But the other thing is, if this job is so widely viewed as unattractive compared to other vacancies out there, why would you continue to put limitations on what the head coach might want to do if he were to take this job that isn't favorable compared to the Chargers vacancy, maybe Washington's, whatever you deem more favorable? Why would you continue to put more limitations on it saying what the head coach can and can't do? That doesn't make any sense to me. And it only feeds into what we read in the athletic piece from Diana Rossini and Joe Person where Tepper just can't help but be too involved. Uh, Like, yes, individually, would love to have Averro here, but also let's just go ahead and let the head coach do what he wants to do as far as filling out his staff, because at the end of the day, it is his staff. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, you want to be able to let the coach have the autonomy to choose his guys and do it his way because we know these jobs are scarce. You won't be in it long if you don't play well, uh, if your team doesn't play well. So you got to have everything that you need to feel like you can do the best job you possibly can. And if his philosophy, because with him being an offensive guy, you know, he could look at Evero's defensive philosophies and say, hey, you know, that's not really how I want to do things. I don't feel like that's how you stop teams or whatever the case may be. I'm just being hypothetical here. But if the chemistry's not there and he's not with it and he's got a guy he's got in mind, you got to let him do it. The good news is, if you do, if this thing happens the way that it did this past year, where Frank Reich clearly not the right hire at head coach, you bring in a Jero Avero, and those two are the pairing. It at least did work out, even if Frank Reich didn't have much experience with Avero in previous seasons. Because I wonder just how much of a different side of the ball type of situation you have, where okay, you bring in Thomas Brown, you bring in um, Jim Caldwell. You have Josh McCown as your QB coach. That's where you have this quote-unquote all-star cast coaching your football team. But they're coaching the same side of the ball. And that's when you can have some conflicting ideas where it might affect Bryce Young. It might affect how you operate every Sunday. Where Averro might have different ideas, but he's running the defense. Frank Wright can give him full autonomy over that. Hey, do whatever you want to do. That ain't my job. I got to oversee everything. I like what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. And here's where I'm going to get into some of the details as to how I want to run this side of the ball. And so I will say I am glad 
that if you're going to hire an offensive mind, if, if you hire a defensive mind, Wes, it feels like it should just go ahead and be a Vero. I, if you want to hire, I don't know, maybe a retread coach might, you know, buck that trend. Mike Tomlin, Bill Belichick. Okay, they would have their own merit to stand on to where then they could possibly keep a Vero. But if you're looking for an up-and-coming defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryan style, then you would just go ahead and hire a Vero in that situation. So if you keep a Vero, it's going to have to be an offensive-minded coach. So even if I think Tepper is still meddling a little too much in this example Fowler is giving us, I do think it would still work because at least those guys aren't coaching on the same side of the ball where conflicting ideas don't matter. You're coaching the defense. I'm coaching the offense. Yeah, I think you bring some great points because it depends on the coach and their philosophy. And like you said, a, a Tomlin or some of those guys may be, um, you, you know, a little bit more set in their ways, especially a guy with, that they want to hire, especially when you're talking about a guy like Bill Belichick. So um, it's going to be interesting, but I think, Everett's odds of staying on no matter who they hire are pretty good with the job that he's doing with this defense. The other thing about Belichick that we haven't talked about a lot, one thing before we move on to the live wire next segment, man, you can't tell Bill Belichick nothing. Are you if if David <laughs> Tepper tries, one he might not try. He might recognize who he's talking to. Maybe. I know he hasn't shown evidence of that. Yeah, that's a made man. It is. Bill Belichick is a made man. The other, This is part of the reason I don't want him, though. So many people focus on the GM responsibilities that you think he would fight for in Bill Belichick. But also think about how fiercely loyal this guy has been to his previous members of his coaching staff. Joe Judge, oh, it didn't work out for you with the Giants? Cool, you can come back. Matt Patricia, oh, it didn't work out for you with the Lions? Cool, you can come back. Josh McDaniels, oh, it didn't work out for you with Denver or L.A.? I think he spent a year there. That's okay. You can come back. And while McDaniels was pretty good as an offensive coordinator, really, you're working with Tom Brady, who's also calling plays at the line of scrimmage. Man, Patricia and Joe Judge, they flamed out crazy. Yeah. And you even were so loyal to your defensive coordinator that Matt Patricia ended up calling plays. You ended up having the defensive guy be the offensive guy. So he's going to create some avenue for his people to get a job that they might not even be qualified for or just continue to be a retread with them. And that's what I get a little frustrated with. If they've proven that it's not going to work in a different situation, then I don't want to say, oh, okay, well, just bring them here to Charlotte. It'll work here. Now, why do I? There's no evidence to back that up. Do something new. Luckily, I don't think Bill Belichick is going to come here. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. Despite many people talking about that possibility. It's the live wire coming up next. We do have more signing day coverage coming at you. We can have some more possible updates, the breaking news sounder, but also Florio, Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk, talked about the Panthers and the fans sending a message to David Tepper. Bob McKillop showed up on the Kyle Bailey show yesterday. Lots of audio to come through. It's all coming up next. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.